0: You're listening at Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. David Pallison is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as the editor of the Journal of Biblical Counseling, a publication of CCEF. Session Four. In the last session, we looked at this funny little picture that you've got here, right? And I hope that you start to get some sense, even in a preliminary way, where that roadmap starts to, it's not just a bunch of line drawings on the page, is it? It's an actual description of what transpires as life unfolds. You might think about it this way. Think about it that for most people, the call it the VCR of their life is on fast forward you know, not the fast forward where, you, where it's all dark, you know, it's the fast forward, you can see the pictures, it's all, brrr, things are moving like this, something happens, you say this, I say this, I feel it, you think, you. I think, and then I'm on to the next thing, I don't even have time to recover from the last, and life just whizzes, and people are clueless, right. lost, lost. You know, not, not in some loading that with all kinds of kind of weird religious overtone, just taking its most straight-out point of view. You're lost. You don't know where you are. It's like being in Philadelphia. or you, you got no landmarks. You don't even know what city you're in. You don't know north. You don't know south. You don't know east. You don't know west. You don't know the safe neighborhoods, the, the hard neighborhoods. You don't know where the businesses are. You don't know where the jobs are, where the public... Tr- you're lost. And people live their lives lost, disoriented, no map, no north, south, east, and west. And our purpose in seeking to, 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 to wrestle together with a map is to find a way, you might say, to put a pause button on the VCR, where you can stop it and say, okay, what's happening here, right? How am I reacting? Right. What, what's happening to me? What'd she say right then? What's going on with my health? Where's the finances at? What traffic jam, you know, what did my coworker just do? What did my wife just do? How am I reacting to that? Heat, thorns, why am I reacting to that? What is it that I want? What fear has grabbed? I'm called to fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. What other fear? Is it fear of poverty? Is it fear of death? Is it a fear of rejection? Is it a fear of not being in control of every situation? What fear has hijacked my heart? And what are the consequences of my reaction? Because I find myself not being a very constructive person in this situation. And What am I doing to others? How is it affecting them? How are my relationships getting more alienated? Why isn't anything good happening as I'm trying to have this conversation with this person? Why am I more anxious? Who is God anyway? So you can put the pause button and start to take apart the pieces that he said, she said, and why. Or you might almost say, and then you can put a frame by frame advance on. It's got that button too. And so we can kind of advance it a notch and okay, that's what happened. That's how I reacted. That's why. That was what the consequences of that. Who's God? Who, who is God in this situation? What do I need to know about Christ based on how I've reacted and what's happening to me? Yeah, a little sidebar here. It's interesting how the questions we've been looking at, they are reflected, you might call it, as the deep structure of the entirety of Scripture. There is not a book of the Bible that does not have heat, some kind of heat in the background. For example, some books of the Bible have as the heat ways we suffer at the hands of others. Book of Psalms, by and large, the heat is there out to get me, right? Book of 1 Peter, the heat is there out to get me. The book of of Hebrews, Revelation, the heat is the sufferings of life. Second Corinthians, the same. The heat is suffering, affliction, difficulty. And then there's another bunch of books where the heat is not that at all. The book of Proverbs, is not about suffering, it's about bad counsel, all those other voices that Paul Tripp was speaking of, companions, you know, the voices that are around us. The book of 1 Peter is about suffering. Second Peter is about bad counsel. Other voices we listen to, right? Ephesians, Galatians, they're about bad counsel. Then you get a book like James. James is a very interesting book. The way that book starts, it says, Count it all joy when you meet various trials. That's kind of a blank slate. You fill in the blanks on that. And then he gives a couple of very particular examples. He gives examples dealing with poverty and and dealing with social injustice. And he gives examples dealing with health. Just universal human struggles. But poverty and health, it's not necessarily someone's out to get you. Sometimes it is. Your bad health is from somebody attacked you and your your poverty is because someone oppressed you. But a lot of times those are just human condition stuff. So James has this more general background. The scripture teaches us to think in a way that where we're noticing about scripture, the same kinds of things we're noticing about our our lives. What's the situation? How am I reacting? Why? What am I doing with God? What are the consequences of that? How am I reaping what I sow? Proverbs is particularly rich on reaping, isn't it? Here's the the, the way the wicked leads to this, the way the righteous leads to that. There's always consequences. And then Scripture never, ever tells you the whole thing about God. It's interesting. It always tailors what it tells you about God to what you're struggling with, where you need to go, thorns and fruit, and what you're facing. So if you're in a situation where what you are facing is suffering, what Scripture will tell you about God is, I am your refuge I will never leave you or forsake you. You will not be abandoned. Doesn't say that to people when what they're dealing with is false teaching. When they're dealing with false teaching, what scripture will say is, God is the God of truth. And look how what he says compared to what the people who are talking in your ear are saying. See, the scripture tailors itself to real people living in real situations needing particular aid. In fact, It's a principle that we could say that runs through the heart of all ministry, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's evangelism, whether it's friendship, small groups. You could put it this way. You could say the job of the person doing ministry is to unbalance truth for the sake of application because you can never say it all. You pick and choose based on what that person needs, what they're facing, what they're struggling with. And then you can say the job of the theologian or the job of of mature Christian thought, balanced Christian thought, is to rebalance truth so you don't just put everybody into your cookie cutter. One size fits all. And you need both. You need to be able to stand back and see the big picture. You also need to be able to, in getting next to people, to have the, what is the truth this person needs based on what they face, where they stumble, what rules their hearts, what God would do to change them, and what he would have them do instead in that circumstance. See it, and and truth then becomes tailor-made to persons. Um, Crucial pieces of truth. Now let me me, uh, take our little picture here and play with it a number of different ways for you. Um, For example, uh, look up here, because I'm gonna make some hand gestures. If you find this picture too complicated, I'll give you a simpler way to think about it, okay? You live in a real world, right? there's, in other words, my hand gesture is trying to, ca- there are things around us, things that come at us. We are always facing circumstances, other people, our health, our finances, the traffic, you name it, the weather, you name it. I live in a real world, right? In that real world, I always react to it, I always respond to what is going on around me. I can't help but do it. I'm not not a stone, I'm a person. Human beings are responders, reactors. We must do something about what comes at us because we are not stones, we are people. What I do towards my world grows out of what rules my heart. And what rules my heart directly controls what I do, what I say, what I think, what I feel. So there's this kind of rocking motion, you know, what rules my heart and how am I reacting? How am I reacting? Oh, what rules my heart? For good or for ill. If, let's say what I'm facing is a situation where I may die. Yes. I'm facing a a diagnosis of of an illness that may kill me. And I respond with courage. And I respond with, Wow, you know, God is very faithful. And I respond with, you know, there's a lot of stuff I've been preoccupied with, and it really doesn't matter. What really matters is loving my family and loving the people who are close to me. And why would I, why would I respond in those ways? Why would there be fruit on the tree? Well, it comes, from, it comes from a living faith, doesn't it? I would respond that way because I would believe that there is a God who raises the dead, and there's a God who makes, has, makes no accidents, and there are no random events in life, and there is a God who is good, and there's a God who is with me, and there's a God who, going through deep waters, I will be with you, and when the fiery trial hits you, it will not burn you, and I will never abandon you, and I will never forsake you, and therefore, it makes all the sense in the world that courage, kindness, right sense of priorities, They happen there, doesn't it? On the other hand, if in the situation where I'm facing the potential of my demise, and I react with deep panic or anger and bitterness and regret, and I'm so consumed with myself, and and I'm looking for who I can sue, and I'm running around restlessly for what quack can fix me, and, you know, where's that coming from? well it's coming from the fact that i've lived for being an athlete and it's not working anymore right or i've lived for my money and but my money's not doing me any good right now or i've lived with this illusion that i controlled life and death and my control is crumbling and i've got nothing and so despair Anger anxiety escapism making lawsuits running around here It makes all the sense in the world because in that circumstance. I am reacting For a set of reasons right And then we might say that around the whole The globe around the whole is the one living and true God right who? When you really think about it, there you are in that I'll refer back to last session, there you are in that traffic jam. Let's say there's 1,000 people in the traffic jam. Every single one of those people, by their reaction, is revealing their heart, right? Everyone is revealing their heart. They're revealing what they live for. Some people are angry and aggressive. And they're revealing that they live for I want my way. You know, like what Paul said uh, you know, uh, a little while ago, you know, don't they know it's me? <laughs> clear, the, clear the way, part the seas. It, uh... Some people are responding with anxiety. Why? Because they live for money. They live to be liked. They live uh, for good health. They live for doctors. Some people are responding with courtesy. They're not happy necessarily to be in the traffic jam, but there's some bigger reality. They haven't forgotten that they live in God's world, not their own. Or they live in a world where what's really playing in the theater of the universe is not, you know, he who gets the most toys wins, or how do you get your goodies, or how do you get your way to be done. But what really counts in the, uni- in the universe is, are you serving God with all your heart? And they've remembered that, right? There's some people in that traffic jam, as I alluded to briefly last session, where that event, little as it is, has become a turning point. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Kind of like those Israelites with the piles of stones where they would memorialize significant events. And the person at that point has realized, you know what? They've either realized again or for the first time, it really isn't about my health, money, been being liked, getting my way. It's about whether the grace of Christ can break into my life and change me. And at that moment, that person is becoming what the Bible calls a disciple. Because all the word disciple, kind of a fancy Bible word, all it really means is a learner, a changer. Someone who realizes that what we are in life for is to become different than what we are by nature, by nurture, by habit, by choice, by opinion, by desire. We are here to be different than what comes naturally. And what everybody else is doing—that's that's what a disciple is, right? And so there's, a per- there's people in that, in that traffic jam that are becoming disciples or are living out their discipleship a step further. Yeah. Situation, right? That's our question one. What are you facing? Reacting—that's two sides, right? That's on the one side, thorn bush, thorns, unnutritious stuff. It's ugly. It hurts fruit. It's sweet. It's nourishing. People like to be around that, don't they? And that that reaction is coming from somewhere. It comes from what rules you, whether the living God in Christ, the heart of the fruit tree, repentance and faith, the fear of the Lord, a living trust, or the various idolatries, the lust of the flesh. And then the whole shoot and match wrapped in the arms of the purposes of the living God, a God who Invades this world, right? Invades it. It's with good reason that we put Jesus the Redeemer, the ultimate fruit tree, Christ who is our wisdom, Christ who, the cross, the, the one who died for sinners and loved sinners, and that blue water, the Holy Spirit, a living person who comes to live inside your heart, right, and make you different and communicate to you the presence and the power of someone else who can rearrange the furniture in your mind and heart. It's that picture that we want to think within, to learn to see within, to see our own lives, to see the lives of other people, to grow up into. And you might say, given the fact that there is no perfection, this side of uh, the face of Christ, right? the tears are all wiped away only when we see him. And the race of sin and redemption is only finished at the point when we see him, will be like him, right? So this side of that, it's all imperfection. It's all process, it's all direction. And what matters actually, you might say, more than your absolute attainment is what direction are you aiming? What path are you on? What trajectory are you falling, following, right? It's not some sort of, you, you, could, you could put it this way. That the glory that Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, gets in your life is actually, in a certain sense, not some absolute standard. You know, well, here's what the ideal Christian is like. Here's their quiet time. Here's their how many people they witness to. Here's, you know, their ethics about this. Here's whether they have a temper or not. Here's how much money they give. It's not so much an an absolute standard as it is a differential. It's the difference between what you would be like by nature and what you are because of the savior of the world. And so you can have people that were given all kinds of great endowments. They were smart and they were born kind of easygoing, and they had all kinds of money and social privilege and they went to a good school and they succeeded and they're not holding up a bank and they're not you know, taking drugs. And they are lost because there's no differential. They're just cocky and fat and sassy in their own self-righteousness and feeling better than other people. And there's some other person, you might say got born with with no gifts, they were pounded down, their role models were violent or immoral, and they even went that way for a chunk of their life. And they still struggle with temper or with lust or the temptation to to take drugs. But they're changing. I tell you, that second person is far ahead of the first, because it's the differential. That's the thing that makes the difference in people's lives. It's what direction you're facing, right? It's where you're going. It's how how different are you becoming? You might might put it this way. For every one of us in this room, there are times where, in your Christian life, you might say, God will bless you with seasons where you might leap like a gazelle. You're running, you're growing, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're a new, newly in faith, and there are all kinds of really ugly things, and you just shed them right off. I remember a friend of mine, he got caught by Christ in prison. He had been a bad guy. He was a drug dealer, he was a drug user. He was a drunk. He was immoral. He had actually uh, 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 the, the, he'd, he'd done armed robberies. The thing that actually got him in jail was indecent exposure. He had been a pervert, too. So, so here he is, this guy's in jail. The Lord breaks in and really starts a clean house. You know? And I got to know this man after he got out of prison. And uh, he, he was really beating his head against the wall. He said, you know, I just don't get it. I, the Lord took all these things away. You know? I don't expose myself, I don't take drugs, I don't get drunk. I haven't hit anybody recently, no, no crimes. But I just, I just have this temper. And I say things I shouldn't say, and I just can't shake smoking cigarettes. He was just real discouraged. I, I looked at him, I was like, I said, wow, you know, isn't that great? <laughs> you know, God just took away all the things that could get you in jail or get your picture in the post office, and he left you with some things that won't get you arrested, and they're problems, but he gave you some quick-fix stuff, but now it's going to be the long, slow battle with When you face anxiety, do you turn to smoking or do you take refuge in Christ? Or when somebody does something you don't like, do you get irritated at them or do you learn how to be a peacemaker? And brother, you're going to wrestle with this till the day you die. And by the grace of God, you're going to grow and you're going to make headway. But it's not necessarily going to be leaping like a gazelle. You had a leaping like a gazelle time when you first received the Holy Spirit. Now it's going to be, Sometimes you leap like a gazelle. Sometimes you walk and you're kind of heading in the right direction. Sometimes you're a little bit staggering, but you're at least getting the right direction. Sometimes it's like you're just shuffling your feet, right? And sometimes you could even say, all you're doing is pointing in the right direction. You know? <laughs> you're not getting too far, but you're at least pointed in the right direction, not the wrong direction. That counts. Right, Because it's the easiest thing in the world to get our head turned around and to point the wrong direction and, and uh, not only to shuffle in the wrong direction but to leap headlong in the wrong direction and the very fact that in your struggle and in your discouragement even, you're at least fighting in the direction of the God of grace. Let me give you a, a, a mental picture to think about the nature of the Christian life. Christian life is like a yo-yo. Now that doesn't sound very encouraging that far, because there's up, down, up, down, up, down, but then get the way the metaphor play, the story plays out. The Christian life is like a yo-yo that is held in the hands of a man walking upstairs. Let your mind wrap around that for a minute. Is a yo-yo held in the hands of a man. Your Savior, Jesus, the one who invaded your life, who began a good work and will finish it one day on the day of Christ. And, he's, and so there you see, how the, yeah, there's ups and downs, but even the ups and downs are going somewhere. And we could kind of tinker with that little word picture and throw in there. And the goal of the Christian life is not to find some secret where you can get the guy walking upstairs to throw the yo-yo up to the second story, right? There isn't any such secret. He's gonna walk upstairs your whole life long, and you're gonna struggle with suffering right up to the last enemy death, and you're going to struggle with sin because there is a cinder of iniquity even in the hearts of the holiest. And you're going to struggle, but, the, but there's going to be genuine headway made. The goal is not some secret of perfection where you can get the, the man to toss the yo-yo upstairs. The goal is that you shorten the string. It's just such a great way to think about it. My goal is that, okay, I face some real hardship in my life, and I'm tempted to free fall and to forget God and to give up and to lose sight of what's so, but I get caught sooner and I find my way back quicker and I find out he is better than I imagined. And things that were just words five years ago, promises, you know, you hear them in church and the preacher says to me, read them in your Bible and yeah, yeah, and they become life and tasty food. They, they come alive for you. And that very situation of suffering, which used to throw you for a big loop, becomes a situation where you realize more than you ever did uh, that this is true, this gospel. This God is true, this Christ who came. He is a wonderful man. There is wonder upon wonder in this Christ, and all wonder is true. And and in fact, I, I, I can't even get my mind around. And you even find things like in your sin struggles, You know, where there are things you battle and they don't necessarily go away. Like for that man, his temper and his smoking. And he hated it. He was discouraged by it. But even in his struggle with sin, one of the things that God taught him that was very important, you can get no other way than having a struggle, is that God is gracious. He is gracious. And yes, we want to change and grow, and yes, we'd like to be completely polished up, and we'd like to never lose our temper. And, but you know what? He is gracious, and at the end of the day, it is the blood of the Lamb that will save us. We are not gonna sit there in the last dance, heave a deep sigh, and say, boy, what a great person I am. Yeah, I needed Jesus when I was 18, but now that I'm 68, I don't, you know, I've been perfect. No, at 68, at 78, at 98, or at 28, I need a Savior. And so it is no accident that the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. It is those who in their, your spirit, the real you, you on the inside, in their spirit they know you are a beggar. You have nothing. No marketable resources, no reason to boast in yourself, no, no uh, IRA, no marketable skills, no great big resume with God. You're fundamentally someone who needs someone else to protect you, to provide for you, to bring you home. You are a beggar. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the first beatitude doesn't stand there at the beginning of the Christian life and then go away, because you sort of move beyond it. The first beatitude is the foundation that sets the shape of the building for your entire life. We are always a people in need. We are a people in need. And the first beatitude, it is the poor in spirit who are blessed is the only true sanity, because this, the thing that continually takes you back to the gospel of a redeeming love of a savior who really came. He, in our little picture, he entered the world, right? This wisdom, this Christ, this word made flesh comes into our sphere, our little pictorial, our little road map of Philadelphia, you might say, is trying to capture something of that. Let me close with prayer. Our Father, these are wonderful things. They're life. If we would only realize that redemption is bigger, grace is bigger, our need is bigger, our sufferings are bigger, our sins are bigger, and that there is a salvation and a Savior whom we can know, would you show us yourself, I pray, for each one of us as we continue to walk our lives even this day that we would seek and find you. Nothing less, Lord. Nothing less. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. For information about this resource and others like it, call Resources for Changing Lives at 1-800-318-2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org. a CDR Communications Production.